it's good to be here with you in Louisa, Virginia. I have deep roots in Louisa, Virginia. You know that? This is the place where I was baptized in water when I was six years old. In Blue Ridge Shores. You know where that's at? Lake Louisa? Yeah. Before I tell you how I'm doing, uh, let me tell you how you're doing. Deal? So blessed to, to, to pull up today and see walls out there. Amen? Let me tell you all something. Well, let me show you something, and then it'll help to, to tell you something. Um, I've been traveling for 27 years, almost every Sunday, just about every Sunday. And uh, 95% of the churches that I preach at build on this. And this is the truth. They build on this. And as God is my witness, most of the Assemblies of God churches in this country have built their buildings on this, on credit. Instead of waiting on God's timing... Uh, pushed and gone out and borrowed four, five, three, two. Not every Sunday I have lunch with them, and I hear thirty thousand a month, twenty thousand a month, fifteen thousand a month, just in mortgage payments, ten thousand a month, just in interest on the mortgage payments, because they had to have the bo- the new building now. So, what I want to say to you is, God bless you for plugging. And doing it slowly and doing it God's way. You can either take your time now and sort of pay up front. Or you can rush, slam and shove things on credit. And be under the thumb of the big banks for years and years and years and years. Have your pastor have a nervous breakdown every week when there's not enough money in the offering to pay down the mortgage. Be be tied up to banks for 30, 40, even 50 years to get one of them. So, all that to say, give yourselves a hand, amen, for doing it God's way, and, and, and for having a pastor and, and a pastor's wife that are willing to be patient on that. And I'm not, I'm not just saying this, you know, I've, I have lived the same model, and because of that, we have a Teen Challenge Center that's not in any debt, and we have a beautiful horse farm, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I spent five years of my life building a church. Every single day, I took Teen Challenge students. We went a half a mile down the street, and for five years, we built a church. It took us five years to build a church, but when we got done, we had about $160,000 in debt. But we had a church, and we weren't under the mighty hand of the bank. So give yourselves just a little pat on the back and be encouraged and continue to, um, to go with this thing on God's time. Amen? Amen. On God's time. So that when it's all over, you're not just feeling this horrible, horrible weight. Uh, how I'm doing? Uh, grandpappy. Yeah. Yeah. Grandpappy. See, it used to be every time I went to a church and preached, it cycled about every two or three years. My wife would have another baby. And uh, so I'd say, well, we got three kids this time. And, and uh, well, now it's uh, grandbabies. Amen. Two grandsons in one summer. Hot dog. To us, hot dog. Happiness is green and being a grandpappy. Anyways, uh, so the reason why my wife isn't here, we're split this morning. She's at a missions convention um, that I'm, we're supposed to both be at. And uh, but the Lord opened this door, and I really felt like I needed to be here today and just encourage you all in the Lord. And the Lord has given me a word for this church, too, so I'm just so excited about that. Um, you know, Teen Challenge, uh, this project for us, it's just been an amazing road for us. Um, long story short, someone donated a million-dollar farm to us five years ago, about 45 miles south of the Pentagon. And our heart 
from the very first second, you know, was, well, we're just going to help drug addicts. We're going to do it God's way. Uh, ended up in court for almost three years. Finally won all our court cases, and then they told us we need a sprinkler system. And then they told us once you get your sprinkler system, you need a generator in case you get a fire and there's no power. So we have been plugging along, doing it God's way also. Um, and we just got all of everything approved completely last week. Done. Generator, everything done. Sprinkler system, done. And so we're, we're to the place now where we, we'll be able to bump our beds from 8 to 15. And so, uh, you know, what is Teen Challenge? Teen Challenge is one year of just coming to a place where you can't live anymore. You can't be out here anymore. You know you're going to die. Uh, most of the guys that come to us are near death, should be dead. Uh, but somehow have cheated death many times. And, you know, there's a place that, that, that a person can get a brokenness where there's just nowhere to look but up. And uh, may, so many of our guys get to that place just before they call us. And someone says, why don't you call Teen Challenge? And, and where are they looking up? And, uh, you know, in a nutshell, everything that we teach and preach, we have a very strict curriculum. Everything we teach and preach is from this book. It's God's Word. Morning, noon, and night. It's scripture memorization. It's Bible classes. It's working on the farm. It's a lot of things, um, and 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 it's a program that's, you know, it's just God's heart. It's God's heart to save lives. Uh, we are we're grateful for the churches that support us. You know, you guys have been with us from the very beginning, and you know, we just love you. We're here to say thank you for supporting us. Continue to. Lord knows we need it. Everything's going up. Uh, when you have a ministry that's 24/7, you need staff. It's if everything's going up, and you know that. Um, so pray for us. Um, but well, I wanted to um, present this to your to your pastor. So, uh, two years ago, a guy came into our program um, who was living in a tent in Ohio for about eight months, homeless, uh, just stone cold drug addict, as hard on drugs as you could be, near death. And he came into our program and graduated after a year, and he's been on our staff. And about two months ago, he said, Pastor Mike, we have all this old horse fence all over the farm. And I really feel like that the Lord wants us to do something with it special. I said, come up with a plan, bud. Well, you know, we'll go with it. He said, we can keep the guys busy, maybe make some money for Teen Challenge and make something beautiful. So he came up with this idea to take old rotten horse fence, literally rotten horse fence, and make it into these. Isn't that cool? And so if you if you want to get these, we have them um, out in the foyer, 40 for the big ones and 25 for the little ones. And this is the first church that we've ever been to. This is brand new. This is the first one. And so will you put this in your new building? Yeah. Or you can put it in the old building. Yeah. This one's for you. On the back. Yeah. On the back, it talks about Teen Challenge and where this came from. And this is about 10 hours of, of all hand everything. All just sanding and, and from for our guys. So from our heart to yours. Thank you, Pastor. Amen, love you, love you, love you. All right, for me, ramble on. Um, got a couple of guys with me this morning. So Robert, you come up now. You come up first. Yeah, I'll, we'll take care of you. One I'm not worried about. The other one I'm worried about. Both rookies. Both have never shared their testimony. Both have been with us very, very short time. One loves to talk. Uh, one never shuts up. And the other one, you need a pry bar to get him to open his mouth. So I'm not worried about the one who loves to talk. But uh, actually, I am worried about the one who loves to talk. I'm at the... All right, Robert. Good morning. It's funny. Um, I want to tell you about a little bit about my life. My name is Robert Carasquillo. 
I'm 30. I'm going to be 39 this year in May. Um, they told me I only had a couple minutes, but um, unfortunately, I didn't get here in just a couple minutes. Um, if I could only, if I can only elaborate on how broken I had become in life. I came from. I'm originally from Florida. Um, professional family. My parents were. Um, my father was a commander, uh, retired. He was a law enforcement officer also for years. Um, my mother ran the hospital, and uh, I, I did relatively well in school. And some of the things that just happened to me were my parents, after 27 years, divorced, and it broke my home. And I didn't realize what an effect that had on me. And uh, but I pressed on. I uh, moved out. Went by myself. Moved out. Went by myself and. Um, found myself homeless at one point to then uh, arriving to New York City. I, uh, ironically, I ran into some people um, that actually wanted <clears throat> that actually wanted me to um, shoot photos and take pictures of me. I ended up becoming a model in New York City. And uh, I've been in every publication of Condé Nast Publishing. That's you know, like GQ, YM, 17, everything. And all of a sudden, just, I guess the Lord shined on me and I didn't know it. And uh, I just acquired all these things, money, wealth, cars, and didn't talk to my family for six years. And um, you know, just totally searching in my whole life, trying to find, to fit in and be accepted. <laughs> it was too hard. Yeah. I couldn't find it. Yeah. Nothing I did. No matter how much money I had, two hundred and sixty thousand a year, and I couldn't even find happiness. Jeez. Got married. I have two beautiful boys. <sighs> Divorced. Um, found this thing called drugs and drinking and alcohol. Thought I found myself, and I realized that I suppressed all my anger and hurt in that, and uh, <laughs> just brought me to my knees. And uh, one day I finally had enough. And that day was, uh, it's ironic how you can never remember anniversaries, birthdays and things like that. But I tell you, um, December 30th, 2012, at 4.30 particularly in the morning, I finally had enough. I finally had enough. I went, made a change in my life and I didn't care. And this is over a, a sequence of tries where I've actually tried to stop, tried to do what's right. I had put time together before, but nothing nearly than what I thought. What I thought I had as a relationship with the Lord was nothing near what I, what, what I really have now. I was sitting there going through life, going to church, and still going out drinking and doing things. Thank you. And uh, I tell you, <clears throat> you cannot put God in a box. Yeah. You cannot go to church on Sunday and then walk out of this room and then go back to your to the things that you were doing. If you want to have a life with God, you have to completely surrender yourself. And this time I did. And uh, he has flourished love through my heart. Just to stand here in front of you folks today is an absolute honor. A total honor because... <clears throat> Stand firm in the Lord, and He will stand firm in you. Draw close to the Lord, and He will draw close to you. 
I am here today to let you know that my name is Robert Carasquillo. I'm 39 years old. And until I came to Jesus, nothing in my life mattered. Nothing. Thank you for letting me be here. Well, that's going to be hard to talk, but <laughs> no. Um, my name is Stuart Shotwell. Uh, I'm from Northern Virginia, uh, right up the road. Uh, I lived there my whole life, and I grew up in the church. Um, great Christian parents. Um, as a little kid, you know, I'd be in the grocery store with my mom, and uh, I would see somebody with a beard, and I'd be like, oh, that's Jesus. And she'd be like, shh. You know, you know, I was, that's probably one of the first words I knew. But um, as I got older, I don't know. I just kind of, I, I, I had everything I wanted. Um, I remember one day, you know, I had really hot girlfriend. Um, <laughs> uh, I had a BMW 5 Series, and I was just, I was laying them. <laughs> I was, I was laying in a raft in my pool, and I was so empty and I mean I, I, I started smoking weed when I was 12 and started drinking when I was 14 mm-hmm. and um, I just couldn't feel anything except anger and I was just mad and I didn't know what I was mad at and um, you know nothing made me happy and so I don't know I mean I had a lot of great things but um it just as you know, college became you know, it was just mayhem and uh just my life kinda of spun out of control but I've got reconnected with God through this program and um you know, I, I have hope now. I didn't have hope before. And um, you know, I don't know where my life would have gone had I not um been here. So I'm just really glad to be here and I have a lot of hope uh for the future. That wasn't so bad, was it? Y'all brothers can sit down. My turn. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to the book of Acts together, chapter 16. Not going to be super long today. Don't have a whole lot to say, just have a whole lot to say. Amen? If you're looking for a title this morning, the title is Earthquake in Louisa County. <laughs> you know something about that, huh? Yeah. Just a little bit about that. Acts chapter 16, verse 26. I'm going to read from the NIV and then we'll pray. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once... The prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. I read it again. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. Father, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you for your love for us. And that, Lord, no matter how hard we run, How far we go, you're always trying to catch us, Lord. The deepest pit, your arm reaches down and pulls us out. 
And I just pray for every soul in this room that they would have an ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to the church. And that they would leave this house blessed and encouraged. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So it's been, I think, four years since I was here. Three or four years. It's been a while. Yeah. And uh, that means it's been three or four years since you heard a good Italian joke. Do we have any, anybody else Italian? Just me? Oh, there's a, I thought I felt some spirit over here. There. And so uh, there was a man traveling down the road, uh, horse and buggy style, and uh, you know, got himself in the middle of nowhere. I don't know, Louisa, Virginia. And his horse just keeled over, just boom, dropped dead on him. And he had some money, and he was in farm country, and he saw... Uh, a farm with horses and so he thought to himself well this isn't good my horse is dead but i got money you know i'll i'll go to this uh farm i see nice horse there i'll i'll go you know buy a horse and i'll be on my way so he goes to the farmhouse and knocks on the door and this little italian man comes to the door so what can i do for you the guy says look i was just traveling down the road my horse died on me and i see you got a beautiful horse here i'll give you five hundred dollars to your horse Little time he said, No, 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 you don't understand. I cannot sell you this horse. You see this horse, you know, looking so good. And the guy says, Look, the horse looks great to me. It's got four legs, it's breathing, it's moving. I'll give you $750 for the horse. No, 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 you don't understand. I cannot sell you this horse. You see this horse, you know, looking so good. The guy says, Look, come on. I'm desperate. The horse looks great to me. I'll give you $1,000 for the horse. Please, please. Okay, but I tell you, this horse, you know, looking so good. So he gives him a thousand bucks, takes the horse, goes all the way. Next morning, real early, bang, 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 little Timmy opens the door, and it's the guy he sold the horse to, and he's furious. Grabs him, and he shook him, he said, you little Italian, you sold me a blind horse. Little Timmy said, hey, I'm trying to tell you this horse, he don't look so good. (laughs) Some of y'all didn't get it, that's okay. Look, I tell you, I was preaching at a big church one night, and I told that joke, and there was a woman, sometimes when you're preaching, one person catches your eye, and there was a woman, like, in the first row, just looked at me like I was the silliest little man, just halfway through my sermon, she bust out laughing. She didn't hear anything I said, she was trying to figure that thing out the whole time. Her eyes were finally open, though. And so, uh, where we are in Acts chapter 16, and... In order to understand what we read in verse 26, we really need to go back to verse 9, where where in the beginning of everything good, everything brilliant, and everything wonderful from the Lord, there's a starting point somewhere. And usually it begins with a man or a woman of God and, and a vision. Something that the Lord puts in their spirit or in their heart that sort of triggers. Listen, everybody is in this room right now, including me, because at some point... Somewhere down the road, somebody had a vision for this church. Get it? Get it now? Had that person who had that vision for this church not obeyed the Lord in that vision, there are people here who would have died and gone to hell. There are people here and have been that have been healed, saved, and delivered, and their lives have been forever changed. All the way back now to one person saying, Okay, Lord, I think I hear you. Okay, Lord, I think I'm seeing what you want me to see. And then putting it all together and saying, Okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. 
And this is what I've found in 30 years of ministry. There's a lot of people who hear. And there's a lot of people who see. There's not a lot of people who do. There's just not. And this is why the Word tells us that, that many are called. But it's like few are the doers. That's like Mike Zello version of some verse. There's just not a whole lot of doers out here. Do you know why? Because ministry is hard. Brutal and tough. And you got to be on your game if you're going to start doing stuff for Jesus. All the way back in verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision. See, my joke had something to do with this sermon. Vision of a man standing from Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. In verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, what did he do? Got ready at once to leave, concluding that God had called. See, it, there's, there's this time when you sort of hear from the Lord, and then there's this other time when you say, okay, I'm going to conclude that this is what God called me to do, and it's time to just do it. Uh, my grandmother, uh, bless her heart, um, Four foot two, four foot two, straight 100% Italian, mustache, used to, used to straight up hardcore Italian, used to drink raw eggs, uh, me growing up, lived through childhood, lived through the depression, actually was an adult during the depression. Uh, me and my brother used to call her Grambo because she drank raw eggs. We just thought she was just like the baddest chick that ever lived was my grandma, man. She she grew up in New York City. Uh, she uh, quit school in seventh grade to go to work full time because her dad died. And um, she was the oldest, and so she had to quit school. She worked in the same sweater factory for 45 years. She's married to the same man for 40 years who beat her. Uh, a drunk, I uh, came home in a drunken stupor every night of their marriage and beat my grandmother and my father and my father's sister. And uh, that's how my dad grew up. On his birthday, he got a broken arm. My dad was completely, just totally so abused as a child. And um, after 40 years of marriage, my grandfather said to my grandmother, I want a divorce. My grandmother was always in church, always filled with the Holy Spirit. My whole life, I heard her two and three hours a day crying out to Jesus in prayer. She had these huge prayer lists. And she would get on her knees and just pray and pray and pray. And was, I heard my name a lot. <laughs> Help him, Lord. And his when uh, when my grandfather told her he wanted a divorce, he, wanted, he divorced her for a 30-year-old woman. And he was almost 70 at the time. My grandmother was in New York alone, didn't know what to do. Just didn't know what to do. Uh, always told my, my father would beg her to leave him because he still continued to beat her even when she was older. And she would always say, God hates divorce, God hates divorce. She would just hung on to that and in a way in which was uh, destructive to her own life. Um, but eventually, the Lord helped her to break away by causing my grandfather just to go nuts. And so, uh, my grandmother became homeless. Nowhere to go. And we were down in D.C. Teen Challenge. My dad started Teen Challenge in D.C. when I was four. And so, when I was about 16, uh, my grandmother came to live with us because she had nowhere to go. And she stayed at our house for about a week. And then she started going with my dad to Teen Challenge every day. And then she went to Teen Challenge and never came home. And so my grandmother spent the last 16 years of her life cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 50 men by herself. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner for about 50 men. And uh, always said, even in her death, 
always said that the, the greatest years of her life was living at Teen Challenge. And she was Mama Zello. She was, really, she was the director of the program. Once, while I was a staff member there, she tried to spank me in front of all the guys. It, wasn't, it just wasn't good. It wasn't a good day. But uh, anyways, all that to say this. My grandmother um, had a saying, and her saying was, do something. Lead, follow, or get out of my way. And she actually had a poster um, at Teen Challenge that, that said that, and she would just say it all the time. Do something. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. But, but what stuck with me all these years was the do something. Do something. The Lord has saved you, set you free, called you out, and given you gifts and talents for His kingdom. Do something with them. Dude, I commend this dude who's going to do the valet thing. He's doing something. Yeah. Everybody can do something in the kingdom. Right. So this vision, uh, you know, hey, it comes down hard. This is a guy standing and begging for help, basically. And I appreciate the fact that Paul acted on it right away. And we're going to skim through this chapter because it's just, I could preach for five hours on this, but the bottom line is, from verse 11 to verse 18, there is a woman named Lydia who is, is a worshiper of God, but she doesn't know who Jesus is. She has no clue. As a result of this vision, she has a conversion. Uh, on the way to prayer, uh, Paul led her to the Lord, flat out. There's the first convert as a result of the vision. Whenever there's vision, whenever God gives you a plan, always the end game is so people's lives can be saved. Yeah. That's always the end game. Not the big buildings. This is a cool vision over here, but the end game is someday all this is coming down. It's the only thing in this room that's eternal is you. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I know it's hard to believe when you look at yourself and you pictures of you 10 years ago. You're, you're definitely getting older. You're definitely getting fatter. You're definitely getting uglier. It's just the way it is. I mean, this is the way it is, right? So it's hard to believe you're going to live forever. But the only thing in this room that is immortal is your soul. This is all gone. This will be in a scrap heap someday. And, you know, this all, even that beautiful build, someday all that will come down. The only thing eternal in this room is you. Your soul. And so, yeah, all this is necessary and all this is vision and all this is the means. But the end is... People get saved. And this is why you always give to ministries where people are getting saved. Forget all the fluff ministries out there. There's a billion of them. We'll do this for Jesus and that for Jesus. Dude, who's getting saved? Is anybody getting saved? That's free. That was for free. All right. So, moving on here. uh, Verse 16. uh, Well, we can just start reading. We'll read it together. Uh, Once going to a place of prayer. Again, another place of prayer. Uh... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And the Bible says she earned a great deal of money for her owners by foretelling. In verse 17, this girl followed um, Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Unbelievable that the demonic spirit in this girl knew the gospel and, and could identify and pick out true men of God. Amazing, amazing. And finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. I just love that. You got a pen? Just underline this. At that moment, that Spirit left her. Boom. So, second person now getting saved and delivered. 
So we have a woman named Lydia. Her whole family is getting saved. Now we have a demon-possessed girl getting delivered and saved. Verse 19, And when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money were gone, because she was foretelling the future. She was making money for these guys. When they realized that their hope of making money was gone, they had Paul and Silas seized, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates in verse 20 and said, These men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar. That's kind of nice to read, isn't it? They're throwing our city into an uproar. It's about time that the church of Jesus Christ started bringing uproar in this nation. You know, I think the church has been silently too quiet for too long. We're sort of like, our country is almost like a toilet. We're just swirling and swirling and swirling, and we're steady going down the drain. And the church is just sort of on the sidelines, and we're like the ultimate plumber, and we're not doing anything. You know what I mean? I think that our country needs a plunger, huh? A Holy Ghost plunger, huh? Just to clean out all the junk and the filth, huh? That's crazy, isn't it? I can't believe I just said that. I never said that in my life. That's my wife. Uh, thank God she ain't here. Verse 22. Huh? The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates had them stripped and beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into the prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Wow, 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 wow. Where's all this victory? So we got Lydia and her family getting saved. Now we got this demon-possessed girl getting saved and delivered. And now, as a result of the vision... And see, this is where we have to be careful with a lot of the prosperity and stuff that we hear on TV, folks. Let me tell you about the real gospel. The real gospel is anybody who does anything for Jesus is a target. Read about what happened to the disciples of Jesus Christ. Read about their happy ending on retirements. Uh Uh-uh. They were murdered for Jesus' sake. And this, if you're a man or woman of God is doing something for the Lord, understand that the attacks will come. They will come. It's not like a maybe if you're doing something for the Lord. Now, if there's no attack in your life, you need to check yourself. And make sure you're, 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 you're doing something out there that will put you at risk where the enemy knows who you are. There's too many Christians and churches that the enemy doesn't know who they are. He don't care. You don't have to worry about them. They're over there doing fluff. I don't have to worry about them. So wouldn't it be cool if the, that the enemy knew who this church was? That'd be cool. It's like, I don't know, if the devil's in his car driving down 522 and like trembles when he drives by. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. I think there's just too many churches where the devil could come in and make himself at home and no one even really know. Mm. Really. And so we have two men of God who have victory. They have vision, victory, victory. And now all of a sudden, they're getting beat. They're getting beat? Uh, sometimes, <laughs> if I ever write a book, it's going to say, sometimes we get beat. Yeah. Sometimes we get beat. You know, there's just times in life when you get beat down. Uh, but I think for us, the ultimate example here is that at midnight... Paul and Silas, instead of whining, complaining, murmuring, calling for doctors, uh, were having a prayer and worship service down there in that jail. Isn't that pretty cool? I think it's pretty cool that these guys are beaten half to death, and instead of whining about it, they were just praising Jesus anyway. Now, all this to say, there is no sudden, violent earthquake that shakes the foundation of the prison and everybody's chains come loose 
if there isn't a Paul and Silas getting beat and praising Jesus anyway. This is the ultimate. Maybe Elvis read this and wrote this song. I doubt it. But this is like the ultimate jailhouse rock song. You know what I'm saying? This is unbelievable that these guys were praising the Lord and caused an earthquake. Were you all having a prayer service out here when we had the earthquake? These jokers were praising God so hard that the Lord shook the entire earth for them. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. So where were you when the earthquake hit? Does anyone have like a funny, quick, quick, I'm preaching here, quick, like where you were and what you were doing? Anybody? No one? Yeah, come on. Where were you? What were you doing? I was in the library and this dude dove under the... You saw people diving? Did anyone else see people diving under furniture? Did you dive under? Come on. Were you in your house? Did anyone's house get really, really damaged bad? Some of y'all? Were you, yeah, were you shaking? Were you scared? Dude, we were scared. I mean, Teen Challenge really shook hard. And we were scared. I mean, my little grandson was like three months old when that happened. And we were 45 miles from you. I mean, you were here. You experienced a real earthquake in Mineral, Virginia. Salute. Hallelujah. All 37 people in Mineral, Virginia got shook. Anyway, so one of the things that's really cool about this is the way it ends. And that, again, if Paul and Silas haven't obeyed the vision, if then Lydia and her family aren't saved. This girl isn't saved. If Paul and Silas haven't stuck to the vision when things got tough and continued to praise the Lord, then we wouldn't have a suicidal jailer getting saved and his whole family. So let's continue to read together. And I'm closing up here. So we have an earthquake. Um, everybody's chains come loose, which we read in verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword in order to kill himself because he's responsible. And he's going to be thinking, man, the warden's going to come get me. Everybody's, you know, loose. He thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. So the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Brought them to him and asked him, sirs, this is, the, this is just the greatest thing that you'll ever hear in your life. Anybody ask you, what must I do to be saved? The coolest thing about my job is getting to do this all the time. Getting to meet all these young boys that come in our program that have never ever been to church, have no clue who Jesus is, and get to answer this question, what, what do I got to do to be saved? So they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your whole household. And so what happens? They spoke the word of the Lamb boldly. They go to the jailer's house. The jailer gets saved. Listen, by, the, by the end of verse 32, the jailer's entire family has been saved and baptized. And now these guys are like hanging out at the jailer's house. So, you know, you read about all this stuff in the Bible and you go, wow, that's just so, it just seems so far away. But it's not. It's not. We're living under the same dispensation as this story. It's the same Jesus. It's the same Holy Ghost. It's the same God. And we're still living in the same time. Jesus hadn't come back. These people were waiting for Jesus to return. Just like we are. So why isn't this stuff happening now? I propose to you that it is. It is. It's happening every day. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? Are you going to be a part of it? God has given you eyes, some of you, to see great, deep spiritual things. And this is good, and it's the starting point. 
And some of you, God, has given wonderful ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord whispers to you and to the church in these last days. And that's good. But if you can't take your hands and your feet and do it, what is this? What is this? Is this like the Moose Club or the Roaritans? This is a place where we all think alike, act alike, feel the same way, like the same songs, so we come and hang out for a couple hours once a week? What is this really? What is this really? It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's a Friday night thing. Amen? It's a Friday night thing. It's, a sad, it's an all day, every day thing for those who will take this and do it. And if you could hear the Lord talking to you today, it would be really simply do it. Do something. Lead, follow, get out of the way, but do something. Amen? Come on, stand up with me and hustle to the Lord.